0: Welcome to the DGR podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR podcast. Hope you're all doing well. This is episode 50, the big five zero. We've made it to 50 episodes. I'm very proud of that. Um, So thank you all for joining. If you've been here from the very start, thanks for sticking around. If you're just coming in now, where have you been all my life? Where have you been? But better late than never, as they say. When we started, we were just interested. I think I said I would just try and make it to twenty episodes, and then see what happens. And we breezed past that. Past that, to be honest, we're at fifty episodes, and I think fifty quality episodes, or at least at least um, a vast, the vast majority of them are quality. Depending on who you talk to, <laughs> some people might. I don't mean depend on what guest I talk to, I mean depend on who's listening. Some people would say that episode was shit, but that one was good, but then someone else would say the exact opposite. So for the most part, I hope you learned a few things along the way. But actually even more way more importantly, I hope you just enjoyed listening. I hope it was not just another bullshitty podcast that's just saying the same things i hope it was actually like made you smile a few times and something you actually look forward to listening into not just oh this is a chore to listen into but i still feel like i listen in to need to listen in because i might learn a couple of things i want you to learn a couple of things and look forward to listen to podcasts and have a smile on your face and um enjoy it and make you think about things challenge you on different things with regards to maybe movement business life all that stuff so thanks so much for jumping in for the 50 episodes and let's see if we can make it to another another 50, 100, 100 quality episodes would be great. I think in the first 50 episodes we've I think we've the podcast has lost mon- money probably if you're talking about just monetary terms. It's hard to measure that um cuz it is it's hard to measure like let's say someone listens to a podcast episode or listens to yeah, listens to a podcast episode. I mentioned something about the membership site DJ interactive But they didn't click the link in the show notes of the podcast and they ended up on instagram then they saw me saying something about DJ interactive and then they saw that a few times and eventually they clicked the link on the on instagram and they signed up through there how can we measure like okay was it the podcast that made them sign up when they heard that several times was it blah, blah blah so this stuff is so hard to measure but when it comes to marketing and stuff I want to be, like, omnipresent. There's, a like, a wheel of engagement. I heard someone call it once, where, like, you just... No matter where you go, there we are. We're in we're in your ears on the podcast. We're on Instagram. Maybe we're on YouTube. Actually, I don't know where else. our oh, email. We're on email. Maybe sometimes I might get your phone number. I might send you a text. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but the wheel of engagement, that's where we, we want to be, wherever you are. So, so, yeah, I don't know if the podcast has made money, but it's not a short-term play for us it's a long-term play where hopefully we have 100 200 300 episodes in the bank and these first 50 episodes hopefully they're good quality and in years to come people are listening to it and they're enjoying it and they're getting value from it and like then there's absolutely no doubt that this is a long-term value play for us rather than just a short-term trying to monetize it because uh, i would suggest to anyone thinking about starting their own podcast if you think you're going to monetize this quickly it's not going to happen so um, do it for the right reasons. So uh, so yeah, thanks for the first 50 episodes. Thanks for jumping in. Today, I have a great guest. I have a fellow Irishman, Rua Gilna. Rue is, is a trainer. He's actually based now in New York slash New Jersey. He has worked a lot with and, and now uses the principles from Postural Restoration Inst- Institute, PRI. And that's kind of, I suppose him, it sounds to me at least like the, his journey and learning from them even though he, does, he doesn't necessarily use exclusively PRI work but his journey through learning from them has kind of pushed him in the direction that that he is gone which is kind of away a little bit from the traditional training model um, or systems and stuff and then moving a little bit more towards working with people in chronic pain and people who value like their feeling good and movement variety and variability and um, and yeah just helping them get out of pain. So. We chatted a lot about that today, kind of the principles that he uses and has learned from PRI and implements. And then also I chatted a lot about or we chatted a lot about concussion because and I don't want people to think, oh, if, if I don't care about concussion, this episode isn't for me. It was more like, OK, R- Ruez history with some of his concussions and what that has meant or how, how that how that can help me and all of you guys as well, hopefully understand like some neck stuff and the patterns that might show up in the in the neck the jaw the cranium um when we're very tight up there or when we maybe have had concussive or any kind of any kind of um impact to the to the skull so um lots of great stuff in here please give it a share if you enjoy it but apart from that here's Rua hello
1: Rua how are you thanks for joining me thanks for having me what's going on in New York not a whole lot. I was lucky enough
2: to escape at the start of the pandemic, so i got a little house in Jersey now. I don't share walls with people. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: How long have you been over there in New York? Or over that uh, side of the world? That general region, uh, 10 years now. I just up to the left. I how did doing that move? A, you just, you just where, where in Ireland are you from?
2: Uh, from Dublin originally. Okay. Like I, I was living in, on the north side for a long time, originally from the south side, and then I went to school up in Drada, so bounced around a fair bit, yeah. But literally, I was I had a personal training business and I was running group fitness and that sort of stuff. And I realized was at the point where I had to either open a gym myself, yeah, or I was going to smother my own business. And I realized if I opened a gym, I'd never leave.
1: So I booked a ticket and said goodbye to everybody. I said, "Hey, I'm going next week. Bye." Um, that was it. And when you and when you
0: got there, can you talk to me about like? what you were doing there then you were a, a trainer when you got there versus what direction mm-hmm. you've kind of taken now
2: yeah i've i've worked with like a lot of athletes um i've worked competitive bodybuilders powerlifters but i've done like lots, lots of competitive stuff myself but i didn't find it very fulfilling to be honest you know what i mean like there's only so many times you can help someone lose 20 pounds or 10 pounds or whatever it is and get them a little bit stronger and it kind of starts to get all the same and a little bit not being facetious but it gets a little bit easy and repetitive. Um, and I didn't think it was the best use of my talents. Uh, I've then got, I've got a lot of brain problems myself, as you can probably tell from listening to me talk. <laughs> um, but I decided to kind of go more into that side of things because I knew that I was not cognitively or emotionally where I used to be. So I started reading more and more about the rehab side of things and
1: went down the uh, deep rabbit hole of PRI and just life-changing, life-changing So you know yourself. What way are you working with people
0: now? So like before it was a lot of weight loss, aesthetics, that type of thing. Yeah. So it's a lot of people in pain now.
2: Mm-hmm. It's actually at the moment, it's a, it's a decent mix. So what I'm getting a lot of is people who have a couple of small chronic injuries. Yeah. If they have an acute injury, I'm sending them to one of my physical therapist friends. Fantastic. Not my thing. If you have a chronic issue and you want to do those things as well, you want to be a performance athlete, you want to train, you want to get stronger, you want to lose weight, cool. Because there's a very big gap in my experience and people who do PRI and then trainers who can appropriately apply that and into a program that's not detrimental to what they just did in rehab. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a wide spectrum. Like I, I work with people who have Parkinson's, I work with people who have multiple disc herniations and I work with people who just want to get stronger and better at the sport.
0: Is that, is that in a clinical setting then, or is that on a gym
1: floor? Uh, it's usually in my house.
2: In the house. <laughs> they come see me or occasionally it's in their gym floor, occasionally it's in their apartment. It just depends. Yeah but then I also work with a couple of big physical therapy firms in the city on their complex patients. Okay. So when they go through all the, the manual stuff and they're kind of still, they know they're missing something, they'll call me in and we'll work together on it. We'll communicate very well. And I'll take care of a lot of non-manual programming.
0: Okay, cool. Like are those clients being referred to you on a, with a PRI lens in mind? So they're coming from other PRI clinicians or yes. people who are aware of that and are looking for that kind of intervention?
2: It's Honestly, it's a good mix. Like I said, there's a couple of physical therapy firms who I do have relationships with who tend to be experienced in PRI, but maybe not as uh, non-manual focused. Yeah. You know, a lot of physical therapy firms are, are very, very manual, very hands-on. Yeah. Um, especially, again, once they're out of an acute rehab situation and they want to go back to sport, they need someone who can do a bit of both. But then I also work with neuro-optometrists, neurologically-minded dentists. Uh, I was at SUNY a couple of times working with one of their heads of optometry on stand-up refraction tests for people who need prison classes and kind of just showing some of the correlations between things you'd see with that test.
1: Okay.
2: So it's a okay. yeah, it's a it's a mess.
1: <laughs> it, is,
2: a it,
0: is, it is a mess. It's a nice um it's a nice world to start to learn about, but it's a hard world to yeah. navigate in, I think. Particularly in yeah. Ireland. Do you know do you know of any like any dentists or optometrists or anything in that world in Ireland? Because
2: I'm not I aware of a single one to be honest. I can ask my, I'll ask my optometry colleagues and see if they know anybody, but you know yourself, uh, trying to get people in Ireland to do integrative stuff. It's not just Ireland, of course. It's even in, even New York it's very hard. Like I've worked with a, there's one particular profession. I'm sure I'm (laughs) going to get yelled at for saying this, but neurologists thus far, I think I've worked with one who would even talk to me. The other ones would ask me what I do and I would summarize an email. Hey, here are all the tests that I did. Here's what I inferred in non-proprietary language as well, like fairly straightforward language. It was, you know, we, we tested this movement, this movement, this movement, and found that they couldn't go through these ranges, the interventions that we took, and all of a sudden their pain was gone. And they're all just three different times. They'd be like, no. Like, well, you've been working this person for eight years. I've been working for three weeks. And we got the whole way to cessation in three weeks. No, shut up. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm a big fan of collaboration. Like, even... I work with a lot of other trainers who don't necessarily have the PR lens or the, uh, the rehab lens and I'll help them modify their own programming with the clients. So I'll see the client once or twice and I'll say, hey, when you're doing these movements, do it this way and that's it. And I'm out.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful thing to be able to keep people because I think, I think a lot of people see the PRI world as like, okay, super low level. Uh, here's Look some drills that. that you do on the floor And then you go back to training And you can do whatever the hell you want And ideally you can do, you can do whatever the hell you want But you have to maybe understand yeah. that there's There is adaptations that are going to be caused And you have to understand what adaptations You're actually looking for And of the big thing that I always talk about or a lot of people, hopefully a lot of people talk about, but a lot of trainers don't necessarily understand. Is there is negative transfer of training? They presume that mm-hmm. there's every all training just as positive transfer. And
2: <laughs> I wish.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 a massive. It it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense not to presume that there could also be a negative transfer of training. And when you of move course. hard in one direction, you're also moving away maybe <laughs> from another. Direction.
2: Specialization has a cost. It's just that simple. In in anything, it doesn't matter in any area of life. You specialize in one thing at the very best, there's an opportunity cost. But very likely there's actual negative or detrimental effects of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you said it there, a lot of people think it's a low level. I'm gonna stand here. But first of all, if it's a, if it's a drill that has to teach you something, if you have to motor learn, it has to be low level. You can't motor learn while you're under threat. It's just not gonna happen. It has to happen with repetition, and then uh I can't I can't believe it, but I can't remember the name of the uh the phenomenon. But the more often you do a specific motor pattern, the less cognitive effort it takes. So people think, oh, I'm just gonna go and squat and change how I squat. No, you're not. You're not you're not gonna change how you move chronically by changing how you squat with near-max load today. That's just stupid. It's not how the body works. That doesn't mean we can't change how you squat, but it means we may have to go back to scratch and build it back up over, but it'll come up fast because you have the existing strength. You yeah. know? And that's kind of the, the bit that people miss. On top of that, when people talk about it being a low-level activity, I have 250-pound powerlifters and bodybuilders shaking like a leaf doing the most basic movements in the world. So to think that they're going to be able to competently apply force using those patterns, like under load at velocity, it's it's asinine at best. Reduction is the worst.
1: Yeah,
0: the, the low level... I find myself saying that a lot. Like I, I find myself mm-hmm. using that language, but then I pull myself back and I'm like, it's not low level. You're only measuring that against like, okay, someone is doing a one RM lift or a sprint or a jump. Yeah, exactly.
1: But, but it's yeah.
0: cognitively huge demand. Exactly. So it's just how and you muscle. measure that. Yeah how yep. you how how you measure that and 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 I actually find myself now with some people even if let's say you're coaching someone and as a simple quote-unquote 90 90 hip lift let's say right and someone who's very strong or like is deemed to have very strong hamstrings and blah 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 blah, and they actually can't feel their hamstrings working at all i instead of us uh, me waiting to to coach the drill i know like okay they're not going to be able to feel what I want or get in the right position and now I'm going to and straight away they're going to presume this is too low level for me this is too easy I, yep. pre, I now preempt that and say okay there's a good chance that we'll struggle I'll take I'll, you might get frustrated with me because I am trying to get you like into a really good position blah blah blah. here's the things yep. that we want to feel and just make a promise with me before we start that if you can't feel it the way I'm, I'm describing you don't presume that you're too strong for this exercise
2: Correct.
1: yep
0: and then uh, uh, we've, we've like, have an understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. before we've got to set that
2: expectation. Well, the, the thing with that is as well, the more strongly patterned someone is, you those big, strong guys very often really struggle to feel. And what a lot of people don't realize is like the muscular activity is going to be correlated to osseous position in a very big way. So like if you're used to having a pelvis dumped forward, femurs ER and abducted, for you to get your lateral heel on a wall, that lateral heel is going to, you know, it's going to ER the, the tibia and IR the femur. It's going to take work. They might feel like their foot's going to cramp. They might feel like they don't even have, they might not be sensorily aware of that outside heel that even exists. So they're, they're like, I'm on it. I'm on it. And they're doing all these strange compensations. But once you get them in the right position, you see their face change immediately. They're, they're aghast. They're shocked that they can't do this. This is tough. And again, like to think that you're going to be able to just click your fingers and do that reflexively on a court, on a field, is just crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: the 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 foot contacts are important. I think because they can they can get lateral heel and they'll sac- sacrifice the other foot contacts. Or yeah, they exactly. Get yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But, but just let me let me get back into my pattern by just ering as much as possible. I can do it. Exactly. I, exactly. I do think the the fitness industry in general has this absolute obsession with stability and strength, right? And obviously, I'm not taking away from those. They also have this obsession. It's kind of passed now, thankfully. Of like ripping into. Uh, to Gray and the FMS and that sort of stuff. But Gray did this great work where he had his pyramid, his hierarchy, which was movement on the bottom, then power, and then skill. And obviously, some sports are are, not necessarily following that hierarchy. Like hurling is a much higher skill-heavy sport, for example. Powerlifting is obviously a power-heavy sport and not a very movement or skill-heavy sport, comparatively speaking. But if you don't have the movement capabilities, you can't have power transfer. We always think of like... We always think of, uh, you know, strength and power being such a good thing, but if you you can generate power, but if you can't appropriately transfer it across the body and up the body, up the chain, that power is useless in an athletic context. It might be great in the gym. It might be a phenomenal bench presser, but you're still gonna be crap at sports. <laughs> you're still not gonna be a human that moves very well, or probably even sleeps very well. It's
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's just hard to harder to measure. It's easier to measure. You know just how much load you have on the bar and stuff and that's that but that just because it's harder to measure doesn't mean it's it's not as important or more important maybe and and i that's why i like for some of friends bosch's work and he's mm-hmm. he's like laughed at and people people a lot of a lot of strength coaches in the industry despise him. And part of that maybe is some of that might be his own fault for how he gets the message across. I really yeah. like him, so i I can't speak for that. but some people some people don't like him for how he gets the message across, but actually he's just been honest about things and is actually saying, your the, feelings. the way, yeah, the way you're building your strength is actually maybe making you worse at your sport because he talks about like overcoming muscle slack and mm-hmm. reinforce yep. development and stuff like that. I mean, so you and you're, th- you're coming out of from a movement and a tra- transfer yeah. of force side of things.
2: I mean, I can't tell you how much abuse I've gotten for saying that you shouldn't arch a bench for for general population for powerlifter. Yes, it's necessary. Um, although the the so the IPF have changed the arch rules now so it's a little bit less, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not why, but they did it. Contortionists. One-inch bench. Exactly. But like, (laughs) like it's such a contentious issue because like fitness and wellness, like the young industries I'm seeing, they're the the bastard children of bodybuilding and powerlifting. And neither of those two sports have ever produced very athletic individuals. They've never, like every powerlifter I know, and again, I know someone's going to get mad at this, has chronic pain. I'm like, ah, it's just part of it. It doesn't have to be part of it. You can be strong with anything being in pain. But, you know, it's, it's like a sacred cow. You can't talk about the arch and the bench press. And I had this conversation with a lot of people last year specifically. And they're like, well, what do you bench press? And I'm like, on a good day, like 370. And they all just shut up real fast. <laughs> you know, like, I put a video of me up like benching. Like, that's like 200 plus thing for like 22 reps with hook lying, took pelvis, no arch. And they're like, oh, oh, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it's okay. You, shouldn't, you don't need to do some powerlifting, but if you're a general population person, I want you to be able to move each side of your ribcage individually. I want you to be able to walk. And like, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. We, be, we pretend like there's no negative adaptations. If you have someone constantly in extension, constantly with a big arch and a peloton forward, which the three big lifts are typically coached. They don't have to be, but they're typically coached that way. I think it would be a little bit irresponsible of us to assume that that's not going to affect how they move on a day-to-day basis.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: I think look I think for powerlifters who want to powerlift great go oh, for it the necessary. better the, better the arch yep. you can get probably the better uh, well even actually in a deadlift I would say a lot of the a lot of the best powerlifters are in a slightly more flexed position but like yeah they set the off
2: arch and as soon as the bar is pulling they're in a tuck position
0: yeah exactly you but, look at
2: so, half Bjornsson the bar is coming off the floor he is pelvis pull loader
0: yeah yeah and and I think no matter what sport or no matter what a lot, of the, a lot of the best athletes that I have worked with have chronic pain or, or, like, mm-hmm. or it just bounces around their body because they're just pushing themselves. And yes. that's fine. And we have to accept like you're just pushing yourself. You're driving yourself into the ground and, and you're probably going to have a shorter career, but you're trying to maximize that for five yeah. or 10 or 15 years or whatever. But hopefully we don't need to take that attitude and push that onto the general population, which no, is that, what has exactly happened. Yeah. That, ha- that like, has happened. And that's an issue.
2: Like, I don't know, like, if you go to any commercial gym in the world, ask how many people have been benching for five years and ask how many people have, have shoulder pain. Like, I'll say a lot of hands will go up, but they probably won't be able to get them the whole way up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, a lot of hands are going to go up like this, a lot of ribcage is going to go up. But, uh, yeah, Not that doesn't flexion. have to happen. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um so i wanted to um i wanted to talk a lot about the because i've heard you mention a few times like around the, your journey with concussion um oh. the cranial stuff the jaw stuff um yeah. the, I, I i like the just everything like from above the diaphragm maybe um so it'd be interesting for definitely interesting for me i've had a lot of those issues I hear your experience with some of that and then Based on based on that, maybe we can dive in and help other people, coaches and therapists, mm-hmm. listen, listening, understand maybe like some of the patterns that are showing up up here. Some of the issues are excessive tension up around there. And, um, and yeah, just help me and everyone else understand it as we go along. Yeah, sure. The best way to go about it in terms of the conversation. But it'd be nice to at least get some of your experiences and, and kind of what your thoughts are on it at the moment. I know I'm lumping so th- in a lot of stuff there. <laughs> yep. Do what way you want to... Um, it's, up to you. it's up to you what way you want to tackle it.
2: I would say that the first thing off, I'll tar- talk about my own experience. I think I had my first concussion around eight years old. There, thereabouts. Watched the Olympics, thought I was great. Thought, saw the guys in the high bar. I was like, I could do that. But there's my old rusted swing set. Everyone has them at home in Ireland. Green This green A-frame bad boy with the plastic seesaw situation on one side. Plastic, you know the ones, right? You've seen them everywhere you go. So I was like, I could do this. So I swing in, try to do a giant, go the whole way around. Got it, stopped vertical, and fell on my head. <laughs> I was like, well, that didn't work out as, uh, as I intended. <laughs> Headache for three or four days, sensitivity to light. This is the first one of five, I believe. Um, and after that, I tell you what, my academic performance tanked. Tanked. I was cognitively dysregulated, emotionally dysregulated. And to probably to summarize that like in, in a very kind of succinct way, angry all the time for no reason at everything. Like just unable to feel happiness, um, a little bit alexithymic, like not understanding or being able to name your emotions properly anymore. Yeah. Uh, unable to focus, unable to retain information the way I used to. Um, and then it got worse as it got subsequent concussions. Uh, and us, are you are you aware
0: are you aware of that as that's happening, let's say? Are you aware of like I'm not Are you?
2: I knew something changed. Yeah. Yeah. Because I used to be like a very gentle, empathetic human being. And then I turned into this little ball of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, yeah, it, pers- it helped me very much as a competitive fighter, I'll say. <laughs> uh, like, <laughs> you wanted to hurt someone having that extra. Oh yeah, that's exactly it. I had that extra motivation at all times because I was always hyper vigilant yeah. to an extent. It like, it like mimics PTSD type symptoms.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like you're just always ready to go. And that's, if someone, if someone would, hit my face like this i'd be ready to throw them out a window mm-hmm. like i'd snap doesn't matter if like it was just joking i'd be like you have to get away from me right now i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna hit you mm-hmm. um and i've seen i've seen people go both ways most people i've seen have gone towards that kind of hyper vigilant hyper aggressive type situation yeah um but i've seen more and two people have gone the exact opposite way and become so meek and so afraid and it's just it's life changing it's hard to have relationships because you can't process your own emotions Again, like I said, academics, everything else. But as I started to kind of realize this is happening, I started to look more into how can I get around this. So I started doing a lot of meditation, a lot of reading on self-development, thinking, okay, I can think my way out of this because pun, pun, uh, pun intended, everyone will tell you it's all in your head. It's not all in your head. If, uh, if you look at the pictures of me back before I had my concussion issues resolved, my jaw is over here. It's like swung off to the right. My left eye is squinty and smaller. I can't, my smile is crooked, it's going diagonally across my face. Like there's very, very visual structural changes that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't think your way out of a structural change, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, I didn't even know P.R.I. did concussion stuff when I started that. I said, I, I take an acting class to get better in touch with my emotions. I've done all the reading, all the meditation. And I was definitely better. But it was like lurking in the background. And I could still feel that like little rage monster. <laughs> wanting to jump out whenever something went down um, and stuff like, you know, th- th- this is the thing. Anybody who has concussions, they'll understand what I mean. They snap when they shouldn't for like, they, they should be like a little bit pissed and then kind of go, ah, not important. But that like, it's not important part doesn't exist. It just keeps escalating. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my big thing was like, if I got annoyed, of like, I'm going to go for a walk. So you guys can't see how much I want to burn everything down. Yeah. Um,
1: and that's,
0: that's, that, that, that that tension it, it, I suppose this, this goes for I think it goes for people who are just more angry in general, no, no, not, not necessarily anything related to concussive issues or anything like that, but mm-hmm. usually you just see someone who is just tense and angry and unhappy in their life that shows up in their body as well. so it's the same, oh, yeah. it's, the same yeah. it's the same thing. The concussion stuff just multiplies just, by thousand. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: And you could say chicken or egg there. I don't know if their mental state is affecting their their body tension or vice versa. I think it yeah. just depends on the person, to be honest. I don't. Um, I, I don't.
0: I don't even think it's a chicken or egg situation. I just think it's a constant, like loop where yeah. I, I yeah. get I'm more upset with my life. I get more tense. I'm more tense. My body feels shitter. I get more upset, and it just never. Yeah. It never ends. And that's that's the tricky thing with the with the pain science as well, uh, because. You don't, you don't actually know. Like that's the that's the thing. When people slay pri or breathing drills, and stuff like that, like was it the fact that they got their hamstring, or they changed their ribs, or was it the fact that they actually just exhale and maybe relax for the first time?
2: they yeah, has got parasympathetic and calmed the whole system. I don't really care. I just know
0: that like their 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 body and their mind is showing up in this way, and I'm going to do something that I know is within my scope to try and change that.
2: That's exactly it. And the pain science people they love to kind of harp on that point, but. We all know pain is multifactorial. Please stop. Please stop trying to lecture people about that. We know that. We know there are psychosocial factors. We know your cultural background changes. We know your, your racial background may change. We know what you ate for dinner may change. We know whether or not you had a nice night's nice sleep may change. But it's like playing Russian roulette and keeping all the bullets in there, right? We take out the bullets we can take out. Like Obviously, I, I, I can't change your, your, your ethnic heritage. I can't change your, your upbringing. Ignore you the psychiatrist or psychologist for that. And they may be able to help you process some of that or, or you know, change your perceptions. Things sure, that's not what I'm doing. I'm taking out the bullets out of the Russian gun relax- that I can take. And that's going to be biomechanical movement, neurological relaxation. And to dismiss those, it's just asinine. It's saying, hey, there's 10 factors. We can change five. That's not. <laughs> that's just, it's just silly. Yeah. Um, and I think, to be honest, it's used by a lot of people who don't want to dive into the factors that they can change. Because you know this. It's a, it's a lot of work to get good at this stuff a lot of practice it's a lot of failure initially a lot of failure initially a lot of like inefficiency a lot of am i doing this right and two years later being like no i wasn't
1: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> no i was not
1: yeah yeah and I that's just the co-
0: that's just the coaching side of it then there's the then there's the actually communicating it to your client's side of it which oh, yeah. is, a ma- is a massive thing as well because yeah. it's actually helping them make sense or maybe give them hope or how you actually even Coach a drill. I saw Ron talking one day about like which side of someone you should be standing on when you're coaching a drill, yes. so that they're yep. sensing things. I'm sure him and any good any good clinician, regardless of what kind of system they practice, understand the importance of like your tone of voice and oh yeah. you, know, you know all that it's, stuff. So you are something
2: as simple as something as simple as the light, yeah. the light in the room, the background noise. These things make a big difference. Yeah, and again, a lot of people kind of on the, the pain science side. I, I'm not discounting that; it's very important stuff. But they love soccer. People know SIBOing. I'm like good clinicians, good coaches don't know SIBO. Someone comes to me and they have like a you know a, let's say sciatica, and we do some very simple work. Some some say some 1990s, some, some uh, sideline pelvic floor. And the next couple of weeks, progress into standing work, and then they have got resolution. Great, very typical. At no point do I tell them, "Oh my God, you're so asymmetric and you're smashed up." I say, "Hey, we have got some exercises here that're gonna help you out a lot." Uh, mm-hmm. Humans are really resilient. And you're going to be back to your sport in no time. Everyone's like, oh, you're no noceboing them. I'm like, no, someone noceboing them saying they had a, a problem with the static nerves. They probably don't. It's probably positionally compressed and or there's some muscle there that's not getting enough oxygen exchange. And that's, that's probably what's going on. And that or maybe a predictive issue. Mm-hmm. But like, it's not about noceboing anybody. I want people to feel like they're bulletproof for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you're in pain. Yeah hey guys
0: just a very quick break from the show just wanted to remind you that if you're interested in joining the world's best biomechanics education platform then dgr interactive is the place to be we've got 742 coaches and therapists i think last time i checked for learning with us every single week so if you have 10 minutes a week you only need 10 minutes and i suggest putting 10 minutes a week into your learning and development then if you have 10 minutes a week which you do jump on to djr DJR interactive it's the first link in the show notes click that within a couple of clicks you'll be in there and you'll be one of those coaches and therapists getting smarter with us every single week i had a conversation with john kiley who um another irish guy actually and he's um far 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 more brilliant than me but he talks about placebo quite a lot a a lot of it Mm -hmm. in the in the sporting realm placebo and placebo and kind of what i kind of took away from that um Conversation was I had I had thought about it before and spoken about it before, but I was more confident to say this, which was: you're either going to placebo someone or nocebo them. There is no middle ground. You're either going Correct. to like. Yep. There is going to be a little bit of one or the other. Basically, you're either yeah. saying I kind of think you might be in trouble here, or actually, I kind of think if we try this stuff, you're going to feel a bit better. I don't hundred percent know for sure, but I'm going to lean in that direction anyway.
2: So specifically because that that that's always in my head as well. When I do a when do like a seminar or something, like I'd often do them for trainers, especially I used to run the, the training department for a big company in New York. And I'd say, hey, I want someone to test this range of motion. It's not gonna be me. As many people as one can test the range of motion The volunteer. I'm gonna do a simple intervention and then we retest. I don't tell them what to expect. I don't tell them the change I want. After the fact, I'll tell them what, what I was aiming to do. I'll have it written down somewhere, I'll be like, hey, this is what I expected to happen. Did that happen? Yes. I mean it works. <laughs> like, like, even when I'm working with people, and I've, I've seen a lot of people do this, they say, Hey, do you feel this now? I'm like, Don't ask them that. Ask them, yeah. What do they feel? Yeah. And if they don't tell you, keep asking them until they get annoyed if you and tell you something. Because it's always guys as well. We're just much worse communicators. Yeah. Like, women will tell you so much more about what they feel, about the joy, what they feel personally, emotionally, physiologically. They're like, I don't know. Same, same. <laughs> yeah. Cognitive symptoms are kind of weird. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah. expound upon that weirdness, please. Give me some details.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's nice to get someone to just go for a walk and just give them a chance to to sense their body. That's the I I I, I a lot of the time I like to people just go for a little walk and just say that, I just say tune in it, rather than saying do you feel this? It's like just tune in. Tell me what you feel.
2: That, yeah I'm the same. But between exercises, especially if I'm expecting a result, instead of asking, I'm like, yeah, stand up and take a stroll for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: gives our brain a chance to, yeah. to perceive and uh, recognize the difference. Maybe uh, okay. Go on, keep going on with your with your concussive stuff. So when you found the PRI stuff initially, I presume you would have done like myocaine, uh, yeah. like the p- pelvis. um yep. Did you start to notice changes in your own body and how you felt, even though you didn't know that they were working on things higher up?
2: I want to actually just precede that a little bit. So the the first time I heard of PRI was actually from a trainer in my gym at the time. Um, I was running a gym down on Union Square, and he said, I took this great course, it's PRI, and I was like, all right, what's that about? You kind of gave me a little, you know, little kind of a short version of it. I was like, okay, it did some stuff on me, and none of it worked. (laughs) And I was like, this is a lot of nonsense, what are you wasting my time for? And I was like looking for continuing ed, and I was like, you know what, maybe let me just give the system the benefit there. Maybe let me go on the website, check it out, see what it's about. And I was like, oh, this actually seems kind of technical, and maybe like if there's some value to it, it'd be very, very good because like, I was looking for continuing education, I got sick of taking the regular fitness certs because, to be honest, most of them are a scam. Most of them, the anatomy is completely wrong on them. They coach you wrong. Like I'm not going to name names, but getting told to use your uh, use your lats to bring your arm overhead with a kettlebell, like you're going to use a humeral extensor to get into shoulder flexion, right? <laughs> That's ace anatomy right there, but. Um, you know exactly what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> I actually don't because
2: it could oh, okay, be. That's, great. that's how bad it is. Could it could be, be yeah, so could many be people. Of, yeah. Yep. So I wanted something different, something much more in detail, something much more technical. I went to the first course and realized that I, I thought I was great at anatomy. Turns out I knew nothing. The bright side was I was there were a lot of physical therapists, and they were very confused as well. So I felt a little bit better about myself. But I went to that, the first myokin course, and I felt like an absolute moron. I was like, oh, I'm never going to get this. So over the next couple of years, I think they did 21, 22 courses. Mm-hmm. They did everything they had. Um, went down to Nebraska a bunch of times. I was actually lucky enough to work with Ron on some difficult cases as well in, in New York City and the, the good guys that over at IPA. Um, but yeah, I was taking the courses and what was happening was, I was like, great, I can get to new, well, first of all, everyone that would look at me would be like, you're going to have to go to this course to find out about that. <laughs> I'm like, this seems like a pyramid scheme to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But wait, there's more, but you've got to go to the next
1: course.
2: Yeah. Um. Obviously, I was, I was a complex case.
1: Yeah.
2: And then I went to the, into the next course and they'd be like, you're going to have to go to the next one. I was like, I kept yeah.
0: going. I kept and you you can understand that now where they were coming from. Oh, yeah. And I'm not oh, a, I'm not a, I'm not a, like, I've learned from PRI. I really like PR, a lot of the PRI <laughs> stuff. I There's some parts that I'm not so sure about. Some parts I would do differently, <laughs> but I'm open to having conversations, right? And I think there's mo- far more good stuff than bad by, by country mile um, but e- even I would think like that where I have a, a if I'm helping a, a therapist or something like that maybe they've done some PRI stuff or they're asking me about it and yeah and you're like uh, it's a bit beyond your pay grade at the moment I, I don't even I'm like, just like okay just mental note that we might talk about that in six months time you know yeah, exactly
2: <laughs> yep yep but for me like like I said people think I'm a PRI guy don't get me wrong I love PRI I love Ron the so good to me so so helpful if something better came along tomorrow, I would immediately yeah. invest in that. And I'm, I'm not being facetious. Like, I, I've never found anything that's, for me and for my applications, I've never found anything even close to as good. But I'm open to it at all points. I'm always open to being wrong. Um, someone actually quoted me verbatim on this and pretended like they said it a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to say who, <laughs> as opposed. I love being wrong. I love discussing stuff with people I disagree with. You. Because if they, if they can convince me, I've learned. It's okay to fail. It's okay. that That's how you grow. But if you if you want to say, no, this is what I know and I can't, and this is the industry's problem, I think, we can't unlearn. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to critically assess everything you know. If you put that stuff up there and assault it, try to rip it apart, and it still stands, it's worth keeping. Mm-hmm. If it falls apart at the barest of attacks, maybe you need to reassess your value system. But anyway, I digress. Concussion stuff, right? Yeah, I would go to all the courses and I would be able to get myself acutely neutral. I was able to pass all my table tests for a couple of minutes. And as soon as we still walked around, I'd just go back to shine again. <laughs> like, I'd have yeah. to do the exercise in between a bench press, for example. Um, and it's not getting me over the line. Yeah. Um, and this is something I think people who do PRI very often uh, encounter. Yet something just awkward. Um, and I was awkward as well because I was missing a couple of teeth here and here as well. So I had some, uh, some jawbone loss and some tissue loss there as well. Uh, I'm also a little bit awkward because I'm a patho neck. I have a little bit extra flexibility in my neck that I really shouldn't have from mm-hmm. a cervical spine injury when I was 17 when I was doing gymnastics. Mm-hmm. So, like, I can, you might be able to see it. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, yeah, a, a little far there. So, like, a little bit, you know, it doesn't happen anymore unless I purposefully do it because I've trained myself not to. Yeah. And that's the thing we think about ligament dyslexia. We can always retrain out of it. The ligaments will always be lax. So we can train ourselves to have reflexive stops. But, um, do you, about a surgical...
0: do you think that do you think that because of that extra movement there and you see people that are, have that uh, around the pelvis or the hips or whatever, oh, yeah. Yeah. that the brain is continuously trying to make up for that by like layering on excess tension and going back oh, into yeah. a pattern that oh, it, yeah. it, it's, yep. comf- it's comfortable with. It's like, OK, we're safe here. I'm just going to even if you take yourself out of that, as soon as you stop consciously thinking of that or go for a walk or whatever, yeah. we're just going to put you back there.
2: But you nailed it right there. It's that's safe because it's known. Like mm-hmm. anytime you have any sort of significant trauma, the body will stop you from, from moving the way you do, from loading that. It's like an evolutionary smack in the hand. Mm-hmm. You know, like pain can be so useful. If you, for example, didn't under, if you didn't have pain, you put your hand on a hot stove, you wouldn't take it off. Mm-hmm. You know, a child would just melt their hand. Yeah. Like pain, everything's pain is a bad thing. Pain is like ringing the alarm bell, telling us what's going on. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't have the tools ourselves to take us out of that alarm bell state, And that's kind of where a lot of people end up. Um, that's safety. Yeah. It's what you talk about all the time. When people get stuck in a pattern, you have to slowly give them a new pattern because otherwise they're going to default to what they know. Like I tell people all the time, we can get that diaphragm to descend instead of using a neck to pull a rib cage up. That's great. But, uh, if we just went in there and give you a massage and inhibited your SEMs and upper traps, and you couldn't revert to that because we inhibited them so well and you didn't have the other pattern, you'd slowly asphyxiate.
1: Well,
2: <laughs> so like, you know, I always tell people. You got two choices, either, you know, breathe or don't. And if we inhibit your way of breathing, you have to have a new way of breathing, or you would just die. And your brain's obviously not going to let you die. Mm-hmm. It's gonna do everything you can to save you. It's just gonna go, hey, screw that inhibition. Let's just go back to what we know. Yeah. And that's kind of the issue with a lot of people. They they think they can do the exercises once or twice and it's gonna be fine and it's gonna automatically integrate. It has to be done so much that it's not novel, it's senses safe and it's sense as efficient. And that takes carbon dioxide tolerance which takes time to build up it takes psychological tolerance to, to you know oxygen deprivation it's not real deprivation of course holding your breath for four seconds but i don't know how many people i've seen who can barely hold a breath for four seconds it's like you're not going to die you have at least two minutes and fifty, fifty-six 56 seconds or so before you're even at risk mm-hmm. but you can't tell that to them yet
0: not for the, not from their brain's point of view it just needs to get That's that exactly back it. in. Can, you, can yeah. you explain, just to digress on, on that for a sec, why the, why the pause is, is so important in some of these breathing drills?
2: Oh, for sure. That's, yeah, again, it's glossed over a lot. From a mechanical perspective, uh, you have your triangular sterni, which is in here, which I always tell people it's like the, the New York type muscle. You can't get experience at a job, can't get a job without experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Those, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's all over the world, but very present in New York. So to get full exhalation, you have to exhale fully. <laughs> to, to contract the triangular sternum, you've got to really, really exhale, and then it's getting loaded. So if you want that muscle to be efficient at firing, it has to have some time on attention, some work, some load, and that means held exhalation. On top of that, you have what's called the Bohr effect. And I can't remember. It's not Neil's Bohr. It's the other boar. Um, you know the other guy. Yeah. He won the Nobel Prize for this. Um, when your blood is above 7.35 to 7.45 pH, you can't associate oxygen. So If we put a pulse oximeter on your finger, if you have the doctor, which they do all the time, great, you get 98% circulating oxygen. Cool. But if you're above that 7.45, which a lot of people who are doing these big inhalations, maybe just marginally above or towards that top end, they're not going to have optimal oxygen dissociation from hemoglobin, meaning less oxygen available at the brain and at the muscular level, meaning uh, over-breathing because they perceive themselves to be out of oxygen. It means a sympathetic neurological state And it means they're probably going to have less muscular endurance than they should. I tell people all the time, you'll know, not you'll know, but a great indicator is when you have a fit human being walk upstairs and they're out of breath at the top. Shouldn't be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's the the chemical side of things, the mechanical side of things. And also then we have like the the carbon dioxide tolerance itself. If you're used to over-breathing, if you're someone who breathes up a lot of time, we force air down to the bottom of the lungs, which are higher in alveoli, so you get a greater oxygen uptake, which of course sounds great. We love oxygen. Oxygen's great. But we need an appropriate carbon dioxide uh, uptake as well to actually balance that pH out and make that oxygen available in the bloodstream. So we have mechanical, we have chemical, and we can go much further into that even from a positional perspective. Like we're reinforcing, giving ourselves more time to motor learn. We're mm-hmm. taking away the novelty. We're increasing that sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, we're allowing people to have the, the skill and the sensation, which will help a lot. Sensation helps so much with motor learning. Muscles do not sense internal sensation of position and internal movement that helps more learning so when you have the sensation of ap- this apical or posterior expansion versus this big belly breath that helps people find that as a default later as well yeah. and it inhibits the hell out of a neck as well just staying in that position for a long enough time will inhibit the neck as well
1: yeah
0: it slow it slows people down it, uh, you're tr- you're trying to you're trying to with the breathing drill one of the breathing drills let's let's just call them that uh one mm-hmm. of the one of the biggest things you're trying to do is change- change how people breathe and and how if you watch them if you're using them, you're probably using them for a reason and when mm-hmm. you watch them breathe, their inhale is very reflexive it's just like a oh yeah. it's a sniff yeah. all the time it's pulling air it, in and yeah, if you, you can
2: hear them constricting the nasal passageway a
0: hundred percent it's a big it's a big Calm sniff down. thats his, that's if they even use their nose so, yeah, yeah, yeah so the pause actually is a time to literally take pause and say no. I know you want to. We've just did a, did, oh, a yeah. did a full exhale. Maybe not even a full exhale in the beginning. We've just did a prolonged exhale. I know you now want to sniff air in, but for one or two seconds, let's override that feeling. Let's say no, okay? Yep. Now, make the started inhale smooth. <clears throat> then next time or maybe next set we can make it a bit little bit longer of an exhale, maybe a little bit longer of a pause. And that actually gives people a chance to say, actually, that air that I thought I needed to sniff in yeah. immediately.
1: I Don't actually, either.
0: I'm still alive. Yeah, I just, I just survived. So it's a very important, so, important part of it.
2: The way I explain that to people is I tell them that the gas meter on the car is broken. They're driving like a, a 1992 Honda Civic that they got from some guy who tried to mod it up and did a terrible job. I right? want, want to, to trade it in and get something nicer. So their gas meter is broken. Mm-hmm. You know, their, their petrol meter is broken. They think, they think they're at empty. They're actually at half full. Mm-hmm. And they go, oh. And immediately they understand that the sensation of, of relative emptiness of air is not actually true. Yes. Another another nice trick I do with people who don't exhale fully is I say, I want you to exhale as much as you can and then say yes. And they go, uh, yes. I'm like, cool. You can't talk if you fully exhale. Mm-hmm. And they always get mad, and but they never argue. <laughs> they go, oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there... One egg, it, you know, go on sorry go
2: on when they started out you asked them to fully exhale They're like i'm fully exhaled i'm like
1: yeah
2: no, you're not. I'm like, the ribs are still up like this i'm like you're not even close to fully exhale but you don't know what that feels like so let me give you a cheeky way to find it and also break the tension a little bit like yeah. if you make people comfortable like you talked about earlier the setting the tone these things are important you can have fun with this stuff it doesn't yeah. have to be like doom and gloom you're gonna die you're broken no it's like hey, listen, you're resilient. We're going to have some fun with it. I want you to understand it and be able to play it a little bit.
0: Yeah, 100%. When I'm When I'm doing some of them drills with people, for the, when it's the first time or something like that. Uh, I always like end up starting, starting, start laughing when they're doing an exhale or an inhale or and mm-hmm. they just can't, it's like full exhale and it's, they, they do like two <laughs> seconds and then they're, they're focusing really hard on doing it really well. And I just start laughing. Then they start yeah. laughing and then we just end up, okay, let's start again. And it happens, yeah. it happens all the time. It's like, it's, it's as weird as it sounds, it can be, it can be fun. And especially if people understand what they're, what they're trying to do, like they're, yeah, I don't know. I've had mo- I've had a lot of like great athletes who people will say they don't want to do this stuff. They want to be lifted heavy and blah, blah, blah. If they understand how it's going to help them, they'll do anything. I don't I I haven't found it's, it to care at all.
2: I tell people this all the time because this is yeah, this idea that, you know, oh, we can lift heavy, lift, heavy. It comes back again to, okay, cool. You can generate power. Can you transfer it? Because if you can't, as an athlete, something else is going to absorb that. It's going to be soft tissue, it's going to be joint. And I don't know if you ever talked to, to Sean Light. Sean Light used to be a, he's a he was a big PRI PR guy. Um, he worked in the NBA as a strength coach. For oh yeah I, I know, yeah, I know, you know. Yeah, I know the guy, I know the guy. Sean's a super nice guy. He'll be the first person to tell you, the guys that were phenomenal in the gym were trash on the court. Yeah. And I would say this, it doesn't have to be the case. Yeah. But if you're doing big extension lifts that are bilateral, that don't have alternating reciprocating joints and allow that movement variability, it's never going to transfer the sport. It can't. Yeah. Unless it's, going to be directly a strength-based sport mimicking the movements that you're training but it's not going to transfer to a field sport or a court yeah, sport
0: the more the more variety and variability needed the more the more their gym the training has to reflect that yeah yeah their tra- yeah and, he, I, and I suppose you're, you're in the gym you're not you're not trying to mimic the the, the sport you're in the gym for a specific no. reason to build strength yep. and whatever mm-hmm. But it just can't rob from what you're doing on the on the field or court. And it's tricky because different people, some people can train in an extended position and yeah, really And they're, extended, look, you know, and they're, and they're
1: fine. Yeah, yep. but
0: I just that I wasn't that person. And I just That's not the that, majority. It's I don't think so either. I really don't. Um and 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 to be honest, the issue is for most people, for the first year or two years, they can do whatever they want and they get stronger. And that yeah, strength I mean, just is, is is great for them. But these changes are these changes that they're getting from. Like, I feel my I feel a tight back after doing a one RM back yeah. squat, and I'm a soccer player. Like, that's a that's a that's an acute change that I feel just for 24 or 48 hours after. Yeah, Whoever's a soccer player, a
2: soccer player doing a one RM back
0: squat, you just slap in the face anyway. <laughs> well, there's not too many soccer players even want to do that, to be honest. But no, like, yeah. look, they, they, they're them acute changes eventually mm-hmm. will turn into <laughs> chronic changes where yes exactly. they, like you're putting yep. so much stress through them in them positions that of course their body's going to say well these are the positions you want me to be in and that can yep. rob variability and variety.
2: why do you think we have so many hamstring tears hamstring strains groin tears in soccer so many of the lads have been trained to this anterior pelvic tilt where their adductor is long their hamstrings are long and then they just keep stretching the hell out of their hamstrings beforehand because they feel tight because they're long and the same cycle gets repeated over and over and over. Like how many times have you met someone? I know you work with a lot of uh, GAA players. Um, how many times have you met someone who's had multiple hamstring like strains or tears within two, three seasons, and they keep just doing the same shit, expecting something to change? Yeah. Definition of insanity.
0: Yeah, and they're almost always the strongest person on the team at Nordic Carl's, oh, yeah. and it's measured. all almost <laughs> always because they've done a million of them. <laughs>
2: But they also do, they also do no the curls, with their back arched as well. Exactly. You know, exactly. It's, like an erector, it's an erector exercise.
0: Exactly. So you're get yeah your your hamstrings are getting stronger in this position. But again, there's an opportunity cost, and now maybe yeah. you put your hamstrings in a weak position. And look, there is some research starting to come out. Jordan Jordan Mendiguchi is a Spanish, I think he is. He's a, a physio and a, re, a PhD researcher on hamstring strains, hamstring injuries in particular. And he's he's strongly starting to look at pelvis position because look, mm-hmm. we all talk about it for a mm-hmm. while but it's again it's hard to measure but he's actually like starting mm-hmm. to say actually this is having a massive impact then maybe more their- <laughs> maybe more than even hamstring strength so or to get together with that so um yep. so yeah uh okay concussion keep going <laughs>
2: <Tangent rumors. laughs> um, yeah, so we're back back at the point where i've done all the courses and everything else yeah. um i went to the cervical course which is one that primarily initially says talking about concussions and what's called the right cranial torsion, which is not a PRI-specific term. It's an osteopathic term. Yeah. And it's present in the literature far before this stuff.
0: Can you can you, <clears throat> you, expl- can you explain it? Uh,
2: it's basically when you get like a rotation of the sphenoid bone, yeah. which is the sphenoid bone basically looks like a pelvis, for anyone who doesn't know what a sphenoid looks like. If you take the skull away, the sphenoid is essentially a pelvis, basically, and the temporal bones are hip bones. And the right cranial torsion is basically when you get the switch. I'm not going to get too much of the details on it because <laughs> people don't know what a sphenoid looks like. But you're yeah. going to see in that right cranial torsion. You typically see, I'm going to exaggerate, but you'll see that jaw to the right. Yeah, you see this cant to the mouth, and then squinty left eye or no left eye like that. Yeah. What
1: so was
0: like, what was what was the second? So if we just go to the jaw for a second. So I, the yeah. the the left AIC <clears> pattern at the pelvis would be pelvis is turned to the right a little bit. We're kind yeah. of shifted over onto the right leg, yeah. and then there might be a bit more of a hike on that pelvis on the right hand mm-hmm. side. So actually, the yeah. jaw is doing the same thing. It's shifting right. Yeah. Is is it and
2: rotating right? There's, there's, a, there's a rotation actually happening in the, the cranium itself. So the bones are, are twisted. You might see a flare in the, in the temporal bones as well. It's like an asymmetry stuck there. Now, the big one, though, is the big one to look for, and that is that squinty left eye and the jaw. If you come straight down the, the line, the jaw will be off center to the right. Yeah. Most people who don't have a whiplash injury or a concussion injury or this pattern will typically have a jaw middle to, middle to slight left. Okay. And I'm not worried about that. That is, just in case anyone out there is trying to self-diagnose, please do not. please 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 do not because nobody i've ever met who tried to self-diagnose themselves did a good job everyone thinks they're one wants to think they're a special unicorn Mm. you're not you probably have the same stuff that most people have or a very very slightly different presentation and you can't self-diagnose don't do it sorry tangent so Um, the nor
0: just go for one sec so the normal the normal pattern at the neck (laughs) and jaw will be the jaw to the left
2: Yes, yeah, like slight, very slightly left. Yep. And
0: then
1: the torsion then when they, when, is when it when goes right. When you change
2: right. sides, when you change stance, so that's when you're standing on a right leg. When you stand on a left leg, it will swing to the right a little bit. But if you're standing yeah. bilateral and you see this jaw to the right and a crooked smile that's kind of going diagonally across the face, yeah. If they, especially if they have a history of like a car crash, whiplash, or TBI, it's a right cranial torsion. Yeah, almost always. You can go in there and do testing to to verify as well. And everyone should, by the way. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people, particularly people with not nearly enough experience to do this will visually assess someone i'm like that is insane <laughs> yeah. if you don't have i understand if you're doing if you're doing a <clears throat> virtual you still don't visually assess you, you still do as many proxy tests for the movements you're trying to do because we all have inherent bias yeah so i don't want to i i want to make sure that what i what i think i see is what i see yeah you know
0: is there a, um, is there a couple of main tests that you would use to try and confirm or deny Without, uh, so the, would, I know it can, be, it can be can be can be tricky, but is it like a lateral reflection? Uh, um,
2: yeah, I'm going to use like lateral reflection. I'm going to use uh, of the, of the extension. Neck. extension. Yes, yes, yes. yeah. And yeah. um, then I'm going to use that uh, you know mandibular intrusion. Can they get that jaw forward, left, right, etc. Yeah, and see from there as well. And also history, history is great for this one. Um, and obviously that facial presentation. What I tend to do actually with people to show them is like. I don't like to tell them they have a crooked face because like, no, nobody wants to hear that. You can't unsee it once you see it. Yes. But what I'll do in our, in our first session is I'll flip it upside down so I can see it. Because as humans, when we look at someone straight on, we always look at their eyes. And it's very, very difficult to, uh, to appreciate facial asymmetry. Mm-hmm. We're looking at someone the right way up. If you flip them around, it's much easier. So much,
1: it's, much
0: easier. In supine. Point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Any, right, yeah. Honestly, any position. But yeah, typically I'll get them like in a hook line position on the table. Yeah. And I'll say hey, I'm just gonna take a picture of you. I don't tell them what I'm doing it for. Yeah. Because you know, as soon as you tell someone you're doing something for something, they change yeah. what they're doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah.
2: I'm just gonna pop quick quick snap of a picture. I'm like, and then I'll get in there and just put some grid lines on it to be sure. And also later on, if another fitness professional or wellness professional, because very often, no, every time actually, I've worked with company to work with another professional as well. So I want to have all my ducks in a row when I send them a report.
1: Because that's what I do. I,
2: if I work with a physical therapist, I'm sending them a, a three-page report with non-proprietary language, what I observed, what I expected that implies, um, the interventions that we took, and the, at least the acute changes that I got.
0: I think Supine is a nice position for that, where even if, if someone's in a 1990 hip lift or a hook line or just lying there and relaxing, you come you come from behind them and you look down. Yeah, and actually exactly, that, exactly. That. Yeah. That's where you'll see the lateral reflection, where it's like it literally <laughs> yes. just looks like yep. their neck, neck is resting over their right leg yep. a lot of the time. Or you'll see a big shift at the jaw, either left or right yep. or or whatever. So
2: I, I used to do a lot of fitness modeling. You look at my old pictures, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like way over here. So... Back to concussions. Yes. Um, I've done the cervical, the cervical one, and I'd met Ron a couple of times before then. And Ron, you know, tested me the path of neck, and he's like, oh. And when Ron says, oh, you're like, <laughs> he, he's such an empathetic human being. So he had like a makeshift uh, mandibular molar occlusal orthotic. Like basically, a little bit of plastic he shaved down to see, hey, let me put this input in there and give you the, the right uh, movement pattern. What happens? So I stood up in front of the class. We have 60, 70 people. Um I'm doing this standing reaching drills for the cervical repositioning. I'm like, that's stupid. It's yeah. not gonna work. <laughs> right, so doing this and he's keeping up there, it feels like for like 15 minutes. I'm sure it was like two. Because you know, he's putting me in uncomfortable positions. I'm like, whatever. You know, so just take a walk and see how you feel. Immediately I felt like the room zoomed out and I got my peripheral vision back. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the horror movie's gonna go and like zooms back out. That's exactly what I felt like. And I felt the whole back of my cranium actually open up. And all of a sudden, I, I was like fighting back tears because my my ability to actually sense emotion came back. but came back all at once like a gut punch. Not in a bad way, but just a very overwhelming way. So I'm walking up and down the room, you know, 60, 70 people. And I was like, how do you feel? I feel, I feel, I feel fine. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's great. But the, the occlusal orthotic, obviously, it's, it's a, this is something that people get screwed up on. Ha- in my opinion, at least, um, you should get people to the point as far as you possibly can before you ever even consider an orthosis of any form, Mm. whether it's specialized glasses, like prism glasses, whether it's an insert in their shoe, whether it's a dental appliance, you should get them as far as you physically can before, even if you can't get them to acutely keep change. Once you get them to the point where they have some strength and can find and feel the pattern, but can't necessarily hold on to it. Then when they get the appliance, it's going to work almost immediately. Whereas if I just went day one here, put that in your mouth. It's not going to help. And I think people sometimes irresponsibly jump a little bit far ahead. Um I could. I understand more. why.
0: I could not agree more with that. I could not agree more because I've I've had a few instances, and it this is that it actually turned me off PRI for a while. Uh, I can see it, yeah. I, it, because I've had a few instances where people have come to me, um and they've been they've gone down that route. They had to get art, these orthotics, blah blah blah, different things, and They're then I'm expensive. like. They're and, expensive. I, I, and it also, if they put all their eggs in that basket, it's like, okay, this is the thing that's going to yep. fix me. And then if that doesn't fix them, they feel yep. like, oh, I'm just broken I'm forever broken. now. That's yeah. So I've had a few instances where people careful. have come. Yeah, people have come and I'm like, okay, but just take out that stuff, whatever. Let's just can you just show me how you've been doing a breathing drill? Like, show me your 1990 hip lift, show me an inhale and an exhale, and it's a fucking yeah. mess. And I'm like, Yes,
2: yes, yes. Like That's I actually
0: I, I wouldn't expect any of these drills to work, no matter what the hell you had in your mouth or your yeah. shoe or anywhere You're else.
2: Not doing it right. <laughs> so I'm like, how do you, so
0: I think that that is an issue that I have I from, have an issue with, with some practitioners that they're presuming right. that if the algorithm and the drills didn't work, then the only thing it must be that not a problem with me and my coaching, it's that they Actually don't have the, the right sense. Yeah.
2: yeah. Even on that, like people who work algorithmically, that's like primary level stuff. Yeah. Once you get past primaries, the algorithms, not that they're irrelevant, they're great guidelines. That's all they are. Yeah. You have to look at the individual and how they're reacting. Yeah. But I've seen that several times. And it's not just PRI people, I've seen it from podiatrists who put inserts in people's shoes that literally make them worse on testing immediately. Um, I had a client, lovely lady. She spent $12,000 on orthotics at one of the best podiatrists over five years. Uh, Really bad plantar fasciitis and the pain to move up the top of her feet. I have been training her husband for a while and he said, hey, can you have a look? I'm like, sure. I was like, can I have to have a look? Tested her with the orthotic in, tested her with the orthotic out. Significantly better with it out. I'm like, great. I had her just do a standing like a, a very simple standing position where she's sensing the appropriate things at her feet. I was like, great, take a walk. This is like your second session. Maybe. Oh, pain's gone. I'm like, great. Like, wait, what? I'm like, I want you to take those orthotics. Don't throw them out because you're going to yell at me if I tell you to throw them out. Put them in the back of your closet. Don't use them unless you feel like you need to. Mm-hmm. Never put them back in. Mm-hmm. Same thing. I've had, I've had people go to very specialist optometrists. I don't work with dozens anymore um, who give them the wrong set of glasses. And they come back in like, oh, I feel worse now. I'm like, oh, it takes a bit of getting used to it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, The right set of glasses, the right set of footwear goes on your feet, and it has immediate change. Mm-hmm. Same with the dental, immediate. Now, you still have to do the exercises because our goal is to always get off of the orthotic. Mm-hmm. That's not possible for everyone, I will say. But in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases, we can, we can and should wean people off orthosis. Orthosis are not a replacement for motor learning. They're an addendum, and adjunct. Something that can help us as a supplement basically yeah. to give them the sense they can't get so that they can sense that later
1: yeah
0: yeah no i'm very um, glad i'm glad you i'm glad you i'm glad you said that i think it's really important because i i think i i as someone who's had a lot of concussion, <laughs> like double vision in this right eye from getting fucking elbowed mm-hmm. in it um oh, it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um a lot of stuff like that like i can i can see the importance of the eyes, the teeth, the sense, all oh, of that yeah. stuff. I can understand it, right? I don't necessarily want to work with clients who are who are, I don't want to work necessarily with I want to work with people who want, who are active or and just not yeah. not doing as well as they could could be uh, and are people who are not active, but it's because they feel like they're not able to be, right? Yes, they're the people. Yeah. I don't really want to work with people who are in chronic pain, who actually just sit at their desk all day and won't even go for a walk. I just don't want That's to good. have to convince That's people to, to be active. But I get that. I, I want to work with active or semi-active people, but not necessarily people who are just in chronic pain for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. I I yep. I, I find it drains me a little bit. Now, it's not that I it, it, discriminate. It's
2: emotionally tough. It is. Yeah. 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 You have to know who you want to work with, because there are certain populations that I just don't want to work with. Yeah. It's that simple. Yeah. Like, I, I almost, solely, almost solely work on referral now because of exactly that. Because I don't, I don't have to spend five hours of the week explaining to you what I'm doing. We, we're gonna, I'm going to explain to some extent when we go, but you know those people who push back? Well, my old physical therapist said this. I'm like, why aren't you still there? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> feel, free, feel free, go back. Because yeah. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you if you're getting better resolution.
1: Yeah. 100%. And if you're not, also go back. Yeah. 100%. Um, just,
2: you said there about working with people who are inactive. This is not you, but there was a thing going around a while back where, oh, people need to lose weight before they get out of pain. Like That is insanely wrong. (laughs) Like people's main thing, don't get me wrong. In the ideal world, everyone's a healthy weight, and yes, obesity or being overweight can contribute to inflammation. No arguments there, but I know those people have probably never worked with someone in chronic pain or never been in chronic pain themselves, because when every step is agony, Yes. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the gym. Like, yeah. Like, no. You're, you're not going to be
0: excited about getting your steps in if you have plantar fasciitis and it is excruciating. Oh,
2: yeah. Or sciatica. You walk every yeah. every five steps, want to hit the floor. Yeah. That's so re- absolutely isolated reductionist. It's just yeah. a hey, not my problem until you're lean.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's also just blatantly not true. Yeah. I have tons of clients, for example, who have like sciatica or low back issues, and are quite overweight, and they get the get uh resolution, then lose the weight because never they can be deact. Hundred percent. It doesn't more. have to yeah. It's Couldn't just crazy to even, even say more. that in And that goes back to history
0: as well because it's it cause a lot of these people you actually see that they were in okay shape or whatever, yep. then if people don't understand. Pain is depressive. If you've been in chronic, oh chronic my pain, God. your whole horrible. world, it sucks you in, your whole world. When you wake up in the morning, you wake up and you're like, how's my pain? That is the first yep. check-in every yep. single fucking day of your life. That is, a depressive, getting out of bed. that is a depressive thing. And it sucks you in. And suddenly two years later, you realize, actually, I haven't trained. I haven't gone for a walk because yep. I don't enjoy my body anymore. So, yes. I don't feel of,
2: safe in my own yeah, body. That's yeah. that's terrifying. 100%. I've been there. It's
0: horrible. It's disgusting. Like, it's absolutely disgusting. And and if you can have little resolutions where people feel like, okay, you're, when you do this, your foot feels way better. Suddenly, someone's yeah. like, yeah, I just did five thousand steps today for the first time. That's yeah. going. To, that's what's going
2: to
1: lose the weight. Exactly.
2: Know? Like you have to give people the little wins. And I, very very often, I work with a lot of people, pay people. I tell them, if we can change how you feel acutely. We can change how you feel chronically. We just need the right inputs and the right stimulus. And that in itself, talk about said nocebo versus placebo, you know? Like that's the anti-nocebo. I'm telling you, if we can get you to feel better for 10 minutes, there's a very good chance we can get you to feel better permanently or at the very, very least, in a very complex case, regularly. Yes. That's
1: kind of cool to me.
0: That's cool. That's why I don't agree with the the you know, people not it's not just in PRI, it's a lot of neurocourses and stuff where yeah. they're seen as party tricks where you get okay, you have full shoulder yeah. internal rotation. Oh absolutely anyone who's go anyone who who understands what they're talking about understands you haven't just changed it forever. No, no, that's not what true. you've done, you've just <laughs> demonstrated that it a powerful thing. You now know, understand this can change. So if it can change once. Yep. It can change forever, but it just—it's just a just, just guidance. That's all.
1: And
2: like a big thing, like a lot of people talk about is in the fitness industry nowadays. They talk about oh, I can do the same thing with a deadlift or whatever else. No, you, can't. you might get you might get some acute change, but you're not getting a, a reflexive motor pattern because a deadlift is not a reflexive movement. It is a very consciously cued movement. If you, if you this is also goes out to people like um, I know I'm going to get yelled after this, golf coaches running coaches, if you think you can manage 40, 50 joints moving simultaneously, cognitively, you must be much, 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 much smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. Much smarter than any human is because you can't.
1: You're you not going to guess.
2: no one's going to shout at you for now.
0: I <laughs> no, <laughs> talk about that speed of movement as, as soon as there's any speed yeah. involved, that 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 trying to manage You're your joints. Your, yeah, no.
2: it's not going to happen. No. Yeah. And I, I've, I've heard some people say, try walking, like, don't try walking. Okay, no. Give yourself the appropriate stimulus that's eventually As it builds up in in velocity, it goes from isometrics to moving, for example. Let's say, like in 1999, hip hip shifts, an alternating one. Cool. We've got it from isometric to movement. I'm moving a lot of information from the floor, from gravity, et cetera. And we're going to build that up over time to standing movements, et cetera. And we're going to pattern them in as safe efficient. Mm -hmm. And then it starts to happen automatically. And this is actually one I talked about orthoses earlier, but a good set of shoes makes all the difference. Because especially people who can't feel heels, Mm -hmm. that's the one thing I, I do not compromise on. I don't negotiate with terrorists. If you're not going to wear good shoes, I may not be able to work with it. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, I'll tell you, listen, you're fighting an uphill battle. Spend you know, 100, 100 bucks or so and get one of these pairs of shoes. Go try them all on, see which is the least ugly, because most of them are pretty ugly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: like, most of the shoes that are really good for your feet do not look cool.
0: Yeah, the PRI shoe list is nasty <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well,
2: I, I have one I have one,
0: I have one i have one uh ga player who is a very high level ga player yeah. and i i i almost never recommend these shoes pure shoe i list almost never mm-hmm. right i i i like yeah. to work in barefoot not in the eye drills actually i like people to wear a good shoe yeah. so yeah. they can sense their art but i do a lot of like footwork pronation supination where we're actually yeah. retraining yeah. how the heel bone moves blah 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 um but i was like you need to get a pair of shoes um and he, he actually found uh, a black, a nice black pair of uh, uh, ASICs, which I had the white pair and they were disgusting version of them. And he found a black pair and I was like, they're actually nice. So I need to find them. Um, I need to find them. They're the only nice pair i found.
2: There, there are a couple of the colorways to you're like, ah, they're actually kind of cool. Yeah. But like you have to really go looking for them as well. Yeah, and exactly. I agree. There's, there's so much retraining of the foot that can happen. But again, with the populations I work in it, yeah. very, very often chronic pain, they're not going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> like, they just like my chronic pain people. I tell them you're going to have 15 minutes of homework a day. That's it.
1: Yeah,
2: because they're not going to be in the gym. They're, they're going to be like, you know, in their in their living room with the foot in the door or whatever. Yeah, like, hundred yeah, percent.
0: Yeah, get a good shoe on them, and then like they at least have a reference for their arch, there or their heels. Exactly. It, it, it does. It does make a big difference. It really does. And oh, the most oh, obvious. Oh, the women, that are,
1: the the most women that obvious, are walking in their high
0: heels all day. Oh yeah, don't worry. Don't worry about them. The high. The the most obvious. When you do a, if you do like a 90-90, I know Ron is talking about this as well, but like just with your feet on a bench, if you look at someone that's oh, yeah, barefoot, no, not, not it's,
2: yeah. it's,
0: it's not the same thing, but to, to tell people to understand why the shoes are important. If you look at someone doing a, a 90, sorry, just a, a single leg, 90 degrees, heel yeah. on a bench, hamstring lift, which can be a really nice hamstring strengthening exercise. Yeah, absolutely. If you actually look at someone, your client doing that, that's barefoot, you'll see this big external rotation of the tibia. And you'll see like yep. the, the 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 toes will be pulling back, they'll be dorsiflexing really hard. Yep. Thiales anterior will be on really hard, so much tension on the top of the foot. Uh and then you think about that's what someone is doing a lot of the time, even on a wall in a nineteen ninety, but yeah, without actually being able to sense the arch of their foot. That's that's yeah, what exactly. they're doing. Yep. So that's and, um really important.
2: I, that- that's one of the things that hurts my soul when, when people say they're doing it in 1990 and they have their feet on a bench. I'm like, you're not there in 1990 because we're trying, to, we're trying to simulate foot contact with the ground. Yeah. I'm like, it's still, it's still a good hamstring exercise, sure. Absolutely. I'm not taking away from that. Yeah. But it's not 1990. 1990. Yeah. And the, it's always people who have done the primary courses. They're like, let me change this. I'm like, yeah. no, no. <laughs> yeah. no, no. No, no, <laughs> no. Like to say that the, the syllabus and the way, the syllabus, they've done a much better job of cleaning up how it's taught in the last couple of years, I have to say. Because when I started, it was like the manuals were all over the place. It was a little bit less structured, but then it's so, it's so much cleaner and more structured now. Yeah. But the way they put together the exercise, the non-manual exercise, especially if you get the discs or the, the download of all the non-manual exercises, the more, the more you learn about it, the more staggering it is the way it's actually organized. It's organizing these beautiful progressions, and it's organized so that from the primary courses, you really have almost everything you need to go the whole way to where you need to. You just don't understand that you have it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's, it's a genius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so concussions. <laughs> <laughs> um, concussions. Yeah. So for me, I had the little plastic milk felt great. And of course, that's a cute treatment. It's not chronic. So I was like, uh, I need that in my life. <laughs> like, I need this. So I went and I worked with... Uh, and could how you feel ended.
0: when you're doing that breathing, like could you feel the difference in how the air was coming in and what was happening inside your Yeah,
2: body? I, I felt very good posterior expansion, which I didn't typically get. Like I yeah. I'm five ten, we're gonna round up. Um, <laughs> um, and I have a sixteen and a half, seven-inch neck. Like I have an absolute monster of a neck. <laughs> so, so like I get I can pull my whole body weight up by my neck if I need it to breathe, you know what I mean? You could try hanging them like <laughs> idiots. But I could, feel, I could feel that posterior expansion immediately. I felt strange. I felt like I was like a deflated balloon that all of a sudden someone was like starting to slowly pump into. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's weird. Oh, whatever. I'm keep to this stupid drill. But then, like, the, the immediate cognitive and emotional change was scary in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew I needed that in my life because I knew, for, I knew, I know for the longest time that I wasn't myself, you know? But you talk to most people about that and they're like, oh, have you, have you tried just not being depressed? Oh, that's that's a great idea. Let me just try and be happy. That's a fantastic idea. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I use very colorful language to respond to that typically. Um, But this completely changed my life. Um, I said I had missing a couple of teeth from a snowboarding accident. Um, And also, this is the thing people don't talk about as well. When you're someone who's a mouth breather, you tend to sleep with your mouth open. If you're someone in the forward head position, someone who breathes in the neck, you're going to sleep with your mouth open because you typically don't do great nasal inhalation. because of that, what will happen is the saliva, your saliva is protective; It's supposed to stop bacteria from colonizing your mouth. As your teeth dry out, your teeth will decay. Mm-hmm. You'll get more cavities and you start to lose teeth. Ironically, then you get stuck in a vicious cycle where you're losing teeth, so you're losing contact, so you can manage your jaw position and neck and everything else even worse. Mm-hmm. Now, it becomes this horrible thing where you see people who have had a head injury to start to lose their molars or lose their premolars. And then, for example, my, uh, I have implants here and here. And they, they're taught in dental schools typically to make the implants low so they don't get worn down. But we need contact. Mm. We need contact there. Like for the, for the stenoid and, and cranial um, region, it's analogous to the heel for the pelvis. We need to get that contact here to get that compression. If you're not getting that reflexively and by default, it's going to affect your nervous system. It's going to affect your neck. It's going to affect your thorax. It's going to affect your pelvis. Everything up and down the chain. And occasionally people think that's a contentious statement. Teeth yeah. don't affect. Yes, they do. Again, there, there are clinical studies out there showing an in, an insole will change your cranial position, yeah. and vice versa. The two are absolutely and irrefutably true. It's there in the literature. Yeah. I'm not there to argue that skull bones don't move. You need to go back to like the 1900s and talk about that. And um, they do, <laughs> obviously not a lot. Like you know, yeah, you a fair amount moving the pelvis and scapulae.
1: Skulls more like mm-hmm. just little movement. Yeah, the like cancellous bone
0: compressed I, I like to this is where I separate pain out, right? Because mm-hmm. I, i it just gets murky when you talk about this stuff and pain. But when you talk about yes. this stuff, I, I, I think it's okay to and fine to talk about this stuff and tension. So, yes. like, and and that's the elephant in the room that people don't talk about, which with, with regards to maybe like asymmetry and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is. We, we should, how could you argue to say that like asymmetry is fine, right? You see a yeah. lot of brilliant athletes and they're incredibly asymmetrical, blah, blah, blah. It actually helps yeah. them, blah, blah, blah. But you can't argue that a pelvis being in a certain position and not, not just that position, but not necessarily being able to transition all the way over to the uh, complete opposite side, it's going to put tension on certain muscles. It's, a, it's, Inar- it's inarguable. It's inarguable.
2: physics. It's physics. It cannot not do that. Yeah.
0: So, so like, I can separate, hopefully separate pain and say, okay, like you're, you're, because cause people would go straight to like, oh, you're saying that someone doesn't have tooth contact in certain area and they're going to have chronic back pain. No, yeah, enough, no, no I'm not. Absolutely not saying that. It, it does. It, it is. How can we argue that it is going to affect how they interpret and sense their body and the world around yes. them.
2: Yep. And that, that's the thing, right? Pain is to an extent, look at the draw. If you didn't choose your parents, right? You might have pain doing something I don't have pain doing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if you didn't have a, there's there's a million variables. I'm not even going to get into it. There's a million variables. I can do the exact same thing you you do. I might have pain. You might not, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there are, we do not have commonalities in position. that resolving or changing those will not resolve or change your pain or, at the very least, your experience and function of that body. That's the thing. Everyone wants it to be one plus one equals two, but it's not the case. It's we're, We are not equal. We're all made and I hate saying this because it's used as a throwaway all the time by people who don't want to understand the shit. They go, you know, we're all built different. Oh, everybody's body's different. Yeah, most people are fairly similar, but how they experience that body is, is probably different. Yeah,
0: yeah. Your bo- your bones are similar shape. Your muscles are yeah. similar. Um,
2: I lo- yeah. I different like- different nerve paths. The occasional different, like occasionally people have extra facets on their joints or less. They have. Like, like a contortionist will have less facets in a joint, or they may have a ball and socket joint where a hinge joint should be typically. Yeah, those are outliers though.
0: Yeah. People will adapt similarly though to training stimulus. Not the same, but like, yeah, like we yeah. said earlier, some people can do a load of shit for a long time and they'll be absolutely fine and they'll just get better and better and better. But like you do understand if someone does a bicep curl, they're going to probably grow their bicep. I don't know at exactly what rate, but like that is going yeah. to eventually yeah. start to happen. It's. It, there's no mis- There's no. It's not a surprise if you walk into a powerlifting gym and they look like powerlifters. They probably went. <laughs> they probably started to train that way because they were good at it. Because they were born structurally. Yeah, pe- people to self-select
2: other. in the sports they're great at. Exactly. Exactly. There's, there's so, a reason I don't play basketball, right? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm five ten. <laughs> not five nine. And five, half. <laughs> no, five ten, and I can get to the rim, but I'm also shy at basketball.
1: <laughs> yeah that doesn't you know, help you like, and
0: yeah,
2: you're from, so from and you're from
0: Ireland so that doesn't exactly
2: help. so like the, the reason for example I went into fighting and gymnastics and breakdancing and all this sort of stuff was I have long limbs but very short muscle bellies high type 2 fibers I'm very good at short explosive movement and when I got into fighting recently I have the short torso very short torso as well small limb which is so advantageous if you're striking somebody
1: Yeah,
2: because everybody in my same weight class I was going to have longer limbs down so I could stand you know, actually two, three inches away and still hit them.
1: Yeah.
2: Same with yoga is a beautiful example of that. Yoga will give you long, lean, yoga and dance, give you long, lean muscles. No, it won't. Long, lean people do it. Yeah. <laughs> because
1: they're
2: yeah. good at
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Uh, okay, so you had that, you had that um, uh, orthotic put in. Is that what you would call it yep. in, in your mouth? In and then you, what happened then?
2: I went, I went up to Howard Hinden. He's the head of the AAPMD, which is like an airway management. Uh, organization over here, he's a guy, he's such a nice guy. But they have this cool proprietary, uh, real time HRV sensor. So, not only was I, I I'm sitting in the chair being like, Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one because I could, I could literally, as they adjusted it, I could be like, I'll okay, well, my IR. Now, IR, anybody watching is like, uh, human IR, it's not the be at all and end of all of tests, it's just a very easy one to do. And I'm sitting down in the chair, <laughs> I'm not going to get up out of the chair, take off all these like monitors and stuff. Uh, between each one, so there I do micro adjustments, ask me how I feel, and they had a real time uh, EMG and EKG on me to re- measure muscular activity, for example, my temporalis and masseters to see whether or not they were inhibiting it with the contact. Oh, wow, super cool! Super, super cool. Um, that's why they're the guys that I work with for dental stuff. So a little bit of trek outside the city, but best I've worked it so far by a long mile. Um, then you can also see my HRV spike as well, like as they got the contact right. It was super cool to see in real time.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and they typically wouldn't show that to other people, by the way. you know, like They wouldn't have the screen facing Joe Normal because they don't want him to get all weird and out of this. But yeah. I was like, hey, can I look at it? And they're like, yeah, you can. Because <laughs> you, know, you know what you're looking at. So that, that was kind of cool. Um, and then basically I just I was wearing that. I uh, wore it like all day, every day for the first couple of weeks. And then I don't really wear it that often now because I just maintain neutrality most of the time. And again, by neutrality, anybody watching, I do not mean a given position. I mean, the ability to get to uh, both ends of one range of motion at pretty much every joint.
1: Yeah.
0: I think, I think PRI needs to rename neutrality.
2: It gets a bit of trouble. Court, yeah. yeah. I they mean neurological neutrality, which is, which is movement variability. But yeah, the problem is very often as well, people hear things, they hear like someone like me or someone like Neil Hannan or something like that say something about it, and they don't understand what we're saying. They don't listen to the whole excerpt, and they take that and run with it. Yeah. like i so many times someone said you said this i'm like i have never said that in my entire life yeah. you said you have to keep neutral in your no i have never said a position that's... don't don't put those words in my mouth
1: yeah i know maybe
2: not in like 15 years i haven't said that you know
0: yeah yeah it's tricky it's tricky no i i say yeah. they need to like they should they should rename it it's not it's their problem to do whatever they they want it, and and they're growing they're growing fast and and when you grow fast there's yeah. there's going to be detractors and stuff along the way, and some of that is your own responsibility to say, okay, are we are we speak are we is our language correct, and are we saying the yeah, right yeah. things? And some of it maybe you just say, you know what, there's going to be a certain amount of people that just take things out of context and they're just doing yeah. it to on purpose. So welcome, like so.
1: To
2: be honest, like a handful of like the big detractors in the, in the fitness realm, I've met and actually worked with, um, and done Right with them to resolve their issues. And then after the fact, they go and trash talk and I'm like, you're the one that came to me and you got full resolution within like a session or two and you can go trash talking now because you can make a couple of bucks off it. I'm like, for me, that is an ethical disgrace. Like I, I, I couldn't do that if I wanted to. You know what I mean? If something is effective, I'm going to say it's effective. Just because I don't use it doesn't mean it's not good. And people are often ask me about other systems, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I'm like, I think like I'll say, I'll give them a, a very straight answer, but I'll say but you also have to understand that from the context that I don't do that, nor do I have a lot of experience with it. So I could be missing out on some parts. of it. Mm-hmm. I'm OK with not knowing. I'm OK with learning. I'm OK with being wrong. But come with facts, come with logic, come with research. At the very least, come with the sound reason not everybody knows. Mm-hmm. The ad populum fallacy is not a particularly strong argument.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's tricky. Look, it's get it's it's getting more popular. It was it's probably been taken out of context. Where I I said earlier, <laughs> I I said earlier that uh, PRI like it's not just low level drills. Oh. And I, I, what, I what I don't why what
1: I'm
0: trying what I don't mean then is like okay, you should be doing PRI in your like trainers who are working with weight loss clients are then yeah. cri- the criticism is like they're getting people lying on the floor and doing breathing drills all day long. That just doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? I haven't that? seen that. I, I, I haven't, haven't seen it seen either. It yeah. just doesn't. People that's talk
2: the, about it like, yeah.
0: As They're if like, that's oh. fucking PRI's fault like that. They talk, <laughs> someone went and did a course and then they thought, okay, I need to do this with my weight loss client instead of like, who the fuck
2: said that? That doesn't make I, sense. Th- this is like a straw man that has been created by, by the tractors. They're like, oh, I see all these trainers. The people who say this don't even work in commercial gyms. Hmm.
1: They're
2: like, oh, you work in your garage gym. Where are you seeing this? I'm just wondering because you don't work in a commercial gym. You haven't been in a commercial gym regularly in how long? And the commercial gym you don't have PRI people there. Yeah. So you're seeing this all the time. That's strange.
1: Yeah. And that's oh, it's
0: it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it, look it's it's not the fault it's, and that's not the fault of PRI or any, or any other system because if you went to Ron and said this is Someone is criticizing PRI for that. He'd be like, "Fucking damn right they should criticize." It. Like, yeah. why would you be doing an hour of breathing drills with someone who just wants to get stronger and lose weight? Yep. It
1: doesn't make sense. What I
2: do with those people, by the way, someone comes to me and they are like, ton oh, no, of no matter what. My, my initial assessment is always I'm always going to do a physiological assessment, joints, movement, etc., because it's going to inform what I do later anyway. Um, I sneak it in. Yep. I sneak in low level debate. They don't have to know why we're doing an alternating bench press. Yep. You know. With a, a, with a hip shift they, look, they don't even I don't even do the hip shift anyway I'll teach them in just like a bilateral hook lying bench press or bench press some heels yeah. cool next week you we can go to alternate. great they're doing an integrated version of. actually I was lucky enough to present at the uh, PRI the PRT and PRC conference as a private conference on the integration of PRI principles into weightlifting yeah. and into exercise
1: yeah
0: that's the key um, word there is principles it's just yes. understanding the body and understanding yeah, the adaptations
2: exactly.
1: you're going to get that's yes. the key word
2: that's exactly it. it's It's the principles of human movement. It's not, you have to put a label on no, People want to make it this, like, cultish thing that it's actually not. But there's a reason a lot of smart people who do it go, wow, this is pretty good.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Like, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I think, look, before before I did PRI, and I had done a, a quite a bit of, like, martial art, like, internal martial arts, Chinese mm-hmm. martial arts, and, like, they're that those she, systems she, are she the same thing it's fucking amazing right there yeah. and they, they move the really same, well the
2: same. yoga is the same
0: yeah they move oh, really it, fuck. well yeah. Yoga's a bit different
2: <laughs> yeah you know, um, yoga has been bastardized quite a lot unfortunately <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. the principles behind it like are very 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 similar to qigong and tai chi like i said just the level of teaching and the standard of teaching now is quite low
0: yeah exactly exactly and and like When I was practicing those systems, that uh, you look at all the old texts, like the breathing stuff is there, and you just look at the evidence of some of the people who practice these things. Age, um, they're they are strong. They move really fluidly and they move really relaxed. They don't necessarily have big huge muscles. Um, and then when I started taking PRI, I was like, okay, like this makes sense. Like, and and this is a thorax. This is what. Yep. This is how, not should, I don't like using the word should, but how it could move, the movement potential yeah, yep, that yep. is there. This is how it could expand and compress. And that, even just understanding that, if you don't, if you don't use the drills, you just actually take some of those principles and say, okay, oh, thoraxes yeah. can actually move in different directions, yep. not, not just up and forward.
2: Yep. And the, the idea of, like, the one thing I think that harms PRI in the fitness realm, it's a perfect word for it, but just because of the preconception of fitness, the, the fact that's called the postural because postural, yeah. people um yeah. gen pop and fitness people think posture think chest up ass yeah. out big arch and i'm like no don't do that yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know but of course posture describes the relationship of one joint to another yeah so it's, it's a perfect word it's just that we've kind of ruined it but the fitness industry does that with every word
0: yeah but like, and, and the it, pain and the pain industry has fucked posture as well because it's yeah. been like okay you're pot you you are so like, if you have bad posture, do this. Or your pain, oh your back God. pain is linked to this posture. And again, when I talk about posture or neutrality, they're not talking about holding a position. It's being able to transition. Exactly. So, pot, the, so the word posture has fucked him.
2: <laughs> a, a, big, a big detractor from, from the system as well, who I met in person and told me how he couldn't get into his left heel. It took me 30 seconds and he goes, oh my God, I can feel it. He's talking like all this shit about it for forever. And I met him with this and he, he posted up a while back about how he Finally came to the realization again, still detracting from PRI and throwing shader for two years that it's not about neutrality, it's not about one position, it's about the ability to get to every position. But like, yeah, that's day one PRI, you fucking dumbass. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I had a physical therapist recently say to me, Well, PRI says extension is bad. No, he don't. No one says that. They say being stuck in any position is not ideal. Mm-hmm. Being stuck in any position, that doesn't mean extension is bad, doesn't mean flexion is bad, abduction, abduction, take your pick. We should have the in the ideal world we should have the ability to get to all of those normative ranges of motion. Yeah. That's what they say. They don't say extensions bad. That's what you heard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I and I think if we can just take that as a starting point for like pretty pretty much every system, most systems, most some are like trying to hold people in a certain position. Yeah. But a lot a lot of a lot of systems that, that are have like movement at their core, they're thinking about how can we help people access all of these positions? So then right. Then PRI's way of going about that is a lot of breathing exercises, breathing stuff like yeah. that, right? And a lot of sense. Other people, FRCU is like, okay, can we just get your joints moving you know, rails, in different directions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like different systems have a different way of of going way, at those things, those I, things.
2: People think I hate FRC. I have, first of all, I've never done it. I'm familiar with a lot of their stuff. I've seen a lot of their videos, etc. Mm-hmm. I think actually for, for athletes specifically that need super normal level of flexibility. You mentioned martial arts earlier. I've done martial arts for I'm gonna make myself sound very old, almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. So if you want super normal super normal range of motion, FRC plus PRI, oh, get your peak, get your skeletal organized and then do your, your FRC. That could be there's almost nobody doing it. But that yeah. could be so, so, so powerful for that works. for dancers,
1: for yeah. yeah. That Love works it. well.
0: And I like I like the FRC stuff. Just I was doing that before I knew anything about FRC, which is just like joint rotations but they layer on different types of tension look when i say that maybe maybe frc people are like no it's way more than that but like the crux of it is moving your joints through the fullest range and then layer on layering on different types of end range tension and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like
2: i think it has huge utility it doesn't have to be one or the other but i do think axial scale position added to that would make it would make it beautiful
0: i'm with you I think, I think that works yeah
2: a lot of the criticisms of pri again are like well it doesn't do this it's primarily a movement and rehabilitative tool designed for physical therapists so when trainers come in there and like run their mouth about, it doesn't do this it was never designed to that's on you understanding the principles and figuring out how to apply them appropriately mm-hmm. so don't get mad at everybody else because you're a dumbass mm-hmm. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah just yeah it's just a misapplication and like with with some of the programs and stuff that I've released or or talked to people, mm-hmm. there's I, I see people on this this is on a very small, small, small level compared to big systems in the industry. But I've seen people who take take the stuff, implement it, and it's not how I just. Des- I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just not how yep. I it's not how I said I, I think you should do this stuff. It's not yeah. my stuff or anything like that. I'm just saying they, they learned it from me and then they started to use it and they said, David said to do it like this. I'm like, I didn't say no, that. Yeah, no,
2: don't, <laughs> don't misquote me. Yeah. Every, I so often go, you said this. I'm like, you heard that. Go back and listen to what I said.
1: Mm. Yeah. Like,
2: go back and listen to it because that's not what I said. Yeah, And like cool. the words we use when communicating with a client or a patient are important um and if you're gonna quote me get the damn words right <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you there's do, a reason to pick
0: the words yeah and you do you do see a lot of clients i i actually feel bad for physios I you i used to like have I, I used to hate uh i used to get clients come in and say to me the last physio said yeah i, yeah. I should never round my back um the last and very few, very
2: often yeah. the clients are misquoting them. It's not very, very what often. they
0: actually say. Yeah, I've yeah. realised that in the last yeah. few years. You no, know, some of them are saying a lot of bullshit. But oh, yes, yeah. Also, but, but it's not always they like the client always like dramatises. You know the I, I give,
2: to. I give every professional that I'm going to work with whether whether they're finished person the person or not the better for the doubt. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Even
2: yeah. and even if they're completely asked backwards wrong with what the person needed. Yeah. I'll say. Hey, that person is working within the framework that they had to do the best for you. There's no malice
1: there. Yeah. Nobody's going,
2: ha ha ha, let me keep you in pain.
1: Yeah.
2: Let me exactly. let me hurt your sports performance. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. So like it's okay. I have like you'll send sometimes people you won't click personally. Sometimes you'll have to go to somewhere else for a whole bunch of different reasons. Yeah. It's okay. You do your best ethically and honestly. It's all you can do.
1: Yeah.
0: And 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 if they're using that to whatever they're using, it's likely that they are helping some people. Like they're getting results with some people by using that yep. stuff, and that's the that is the cool thing with pain. Fucking, you can use anything and it could help someone. We have no idea.
2: In many ways to skin a cat.
0: Exactly. Um. So, last last question for you on all the all the concussive stuff. Do you think, or actually, I won't even say about concussive stuff, but just people with like a lot of tension, neck, mm-hmm. uh, jaw, cranium, blah 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 blah. Do you think a lot of those people, n- not concussive people, do you think a lot of those people just need to be better at the basics, which is like the rib stuff, the oh pelvis stuff?
2: I think that, like them, and even most practitioners, most people who are doing this sort of stuff need to not just go, oh, this is they need to understand every single piece of that technique, mm-hmm. every single way, which way it can go wrong. Yeah. Because the amount of people I say, and you kind of touched on it earlier, who've seen five other people, and I get them to do one maybe two basic exercises and they come neutral across the board and table tests Yeah, because they just haven't been doing anything right.
0: And they feel think, it. They feel, they're like, oh, oh it did not feel yeah. like this last time. Even during the drill, it's like, I did yeah. not feel that, but I've been doing it for two years.
2: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think, another yeah, they need to get better at the basics and then in the ideal world, if they have access to someone who's good, they need to progress through to standing alternating movements as soon as possible. Yeah. As soon as possible. They don't, like this idea that good P.R.I. people are good practitioners of any good form are going to keep them on the ground the whole time is just wrong. Yeah. A good person can get you. Hey, I get you up, get you standing, and going you to do alternating movements, and then I get you to do loaded movements. You're ready. Let's go.
1: Yeah,
2: that's it. And we're not going to default to putting you back in your old pattern in your loaded movements. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. There's an objective uh, objective measure, and also I don't think it's necessarily it's necessarily wrong sometimes too. To be a bit too ambitious with someone and say, Right, we're going to try yeah. this. If you go, if it doesn't work, at least we know what we're working towards, or at least we can see, Okay, this is why. See how like we're struggling, we lost that there. See, yep. you see now why this position, on we're building it up, whatever. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yep. yeah, so exactly. I like, to be,
0: I like to be quite ambitious, and but look, I can understand for me the biggest thing, probably, that like social media and us growing a little bit on social media has helped with is our my clients have a bit more trust with me now. When they come, they're yeah. like, "Okay, they're like David has a reason for. He's not a fucking yes, idiot. Yes. Hopefully, he's a reason for why he's doing this stuff with me." And there's a bit of trust there to say, "Yeah, I'm with you on this." So I can understand, like, boy, people who've done a couple of courses and then someone comes in, a client comes yep. in that doesn't know that they're going to get any of this stuff. uh Why yep. they might rush through it a little because they are afraid that if I don't get this right and I also don't do some manual therapy, I also don't do something else. That yeah, it's a waste.
2: When I started out doing this stuff, what I would do is all of my clients, I would ask them if they could stay 15 minutes later and space the people out more so that I could practice my craft for free. Yeah. I'm like, hey, you gonna," and I would sit there with, with the manual doing the technique and people like other trainers would gym, like, ha look at that idiot blowing up balloons reading from a book. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, well, I don't want to charge people for my incompetence. So I'm going to yeah. practice and practice and practice. I took pro bono clients on, uh, people who couldn't afford to pay me for, for you know, that sort of work. I had them come see me in my off hours. Yeah, and I did that for a year or two, and I was like, okay, I feel like I've screwed up enough now that I'm starting to get it. Yeah, and that's that. The problem is people often as well they take a bunch of courses and do literally zero practical work. Yeah. But the testing in and of itself is very technical and very easy to mess up. Yeah. Very very easy to mess up. Hundred percent.
0: But you're you you now cashing in on those hours that those practice errors that you put in because oh, you can now charge a lot more than probably a lot of those trainers who are laughing at you for. <laughs>
2: Exactly. And nobody even argues when you hear what a charge per hour either. Like they go, okay. okay. yeah, I haven't had someone argue in a long time. Yeah, and They're like, oh, that's not bad. Mostly yeah. the time. They're like, that's pretty cheap actually for what I just got considering. I yep. said very often it's like, I've been in five months of physical therapy and now we've done two sessions and I'm not, I'm not going to say resolved, but yeah. I don't have pain yet. I don't have pain anymore. That doesn't mean we're resolved. We're resolved when you can go back to activities yes. without that pain recurring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no it's practice it's a practice like it's it's they're they're those people now are paying you for all those hours that you put in not just exactly uh, that. the yep. hour that you're seeing them today or something they're put you know so um with so,
2: the yeah. with the trainers that i had in the gym that i really worked well i don't like to use the word mentor anymore because it's been bandied around so much
1: <laughs> yeah
2: no comment there are some legitimate good people out there mentoring people but there's also a lot of like hey take a six-week course and i mentor yes that's, that's not to me mentorship is like a relationship. Yeah. It's it's you know, it's it's really investing in someone. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize anybody, I just think it may not be the right word for some of the things that are happening.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but I basically had a rule where they also have to have a pro bono client as well.
1: Yeah.
2: Because number one, they should you need room to make mistakes. I'm not saying you should be practicing on people who can't afford it, but yeah. it's like that gives them time and like that, that leeway where they can go take manual out
1: yeah.
2: without kind of damaging trust, you know. Mm-hmm. and i also i wanted them to be able to I wanted them to give something back if they're going to get my time for free i wanted you to be giving something back to the community as well mm-hmm. you
0: know yeah practice in your craft in other industries well a lot yes, of sir. other yeah a lot of other industries people practice 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 they're, they're they're getting better but in this industry it seems like people just learn a few techniques and that's what they do for the rest of their lives and that's why i i, I do not I do not look at it, uh, how many years you are in the industry as if I should no, have irrelevant. more respect for you. Yeah, it's completely fucking yeah. irrelevant. It's completely irrelevant. I just look I, at the results that you get with your clients, how you communicate, um, how ethical, how moral, how respectful you are. I will it. respect, I will try and, I will start off with respecting everyone, but I won't necessarily respect someone for their knowledge no. if they don't have any.
2: That's it. I, I got in a discussion with a guy a while ago. I posted something about actually arching and bench pressing, for example. I so said, I don't really see a reason to have Gen Pop Arch. And this guy came on there, he's like, well, I got 10 years experience and done like 10,000 sessions and blah, blah, blah. You should respect me. And I benched this much. I'm like, cool. I've got 19 years experience, done about 30,000 sessions, and I benched more than you despite being 50 pounds less. Does that mean I'm right? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Then why'd you bring it up?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, irrelevant.
2: It's, it's, it's irrelevant, unless it works for you. It's just silly. Like, also, you don't have to be strong to know about strength. Mm-hmm. You, you don't the, have to be experienced
0: the, the, to be good. The thing with that, the thing with that guy is he could be right. He could be right. You could in oh, five years' a... time, in five years' time, you could come back to me and say, you know what, fucking people should arch and bench press, right? Whatever. Yep, yep. I doubt it's gonna happen, but it could. <laughs> right? But the, the thing with that is he spent 20 years benching. How many of those years did he spend? Like, did he learn that technique on day one and just say this is the technique exactly. that we use? And I just get better at that, at that technique. You never change. Yep.
2: So, you have 20 years of practice doing the same thing, not 20 years of growth. Those are exactly, very, very different things. Exactly. Very different things. Exactly. Like I, um, I would say 19 years of doing this. I'm old. Um I learned the vast majority in six or seven years. Yeah. And the last like when, when I kind of when I came to PRI, I've been like hammering three, four, five, six different courses of random stuff for a year or two, trying to find something that I gave a tiny shit about. And yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like you know, I'm, I'm not going to throw any particular thing under the bus, but like doing a course with a specific gym implement, who fucking cares? <laughs> like, yeah. who cares? Like, I'm a kettlebell guy.
1: It's a dumbbell with a different handle, man. Mm. It's still a heavy thing. I'm a sandbag guy. I'm a TRX guy. So, yeah,
2: <laughs> it's, it's just a different way to apply resistance. Like, no we're special.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, not a single, not a single implement is super special. You get the same results with basically anything if you know what you're doing. Yeah,
0: I think it's great, like learning all those different implements. What people should hopefully start with and understanding that, like, okay, because the kettlebell guy will tell you the kettlebell oh, is better, the barbell guy will tell you the barbel is better. It's just, yeah. it's just like, okay, let's start with our principles of human movements. load progressive overload, understanding yep. some of the adaptations we're going to chase. And then now you can go and learn all these different things. Yeah. How, how the best person with kettlebells coaches kettlebells. Great. But you're not going to come exactly. out of that course and say kettlebells are better than barbells. You just, you're just yep, not
2: allowed. Exactly. I am not disrespecting any of those tools. They're all great tools, but they're just tools in a toolbox.
1: Yeah.
2: Like that's it. 100%. And you use the appropriate tool for the appropriate person. I'm not going to get my competitive powerlifters out there swinging kettlebells. It's not relevant for them. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, going to use the, I'm going to use the Phillips head screwdriver on the Phillips head screw.
1: Oh, I lost like, you for a sec.
0: You're back. Is um, good- okay, where, uh, is there anywhere people can go and find you if, they, if you, if you um, wanted
1: to? <laughs> uh,
2: uh, I'm on Instagram as The Biomechanist. Um, very simply, that's the easiest place to find me, to be honest. Um, I would say my website, but I never update it. <laughs> I do almost, almost always, I respond to Instagram messages or comments. By the way, um, I will help anyone as much as I can within the realm of possibility. I'll direct people to good resources, to good practitioners. If I know someone in their area, like my big thing is, there's enough hurt, injured, and unaffected people to go around, so we don't have oh, to afford yeah. them. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like if somebody's like, "Hey, I can't get to you, but I live in this area," I'm like, "Oh, if I know someone in that area who's good," I'm like. Go see that person. Go talk to 100%. that person. Or, hey, I, I do this sport. Who should I talk to? I'm like, talk to that person who's good at this stuff and does that sport or knows about that sport and works with those athletes.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like ethics
2: goes a long way.
0: 100%. That's pa- part of the part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast. What Look, it, it is, without a doubt, self-promotion. Like, it's people are it's listening fair. to me talking and stuff. We sell stuff on it. But, like, it's been phenomenal actually to talk to pe- pe- people from different parts of the world, different types of trainers. And I- I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with 100% of everything that everyone says, but I don't fucking have to. You can have conversations that's with it. people and I actually allow them talk and stuff. So it's just, yeah, it's that's been very that's good. It's a unique
2: idea nowadays, though. Nowadays, everyone thinks you have to agree on everything. Oh my God. It's fun. And if not, it's a person, they view it as a personal attack. Yeah. I love talking to people I disagree with because either I get to get better at explaining my point that doesn't mean they have to agree with me. Or I get to learn something new, or I get to learn at the very least a different perspective and a different way to talk and communicate with people that I'm going to work with in the future.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. So, yeah.
2: so long as someone doesn't go ad hominem, in which case I just eviscerate them.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. too easy. Yeah.
2: But, but also for, any, for anybody watching this, me and David do not know each other from Ireland because everybody always asks me that. I thought we were cousins. <laughs> <laughs> everybody always asks, either, like Robbie Burke as well, mate. Actually, Robbie Burke, I do know because we used to work in the same gym. <laughs> yeah,
0: I was on I was on Robbie's podcast recently. My my uh, my previous dog's name was Rua.
2: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, ha- I have been described as a bitch many times.
0: So. <laughs> he was actually not a bitch. So oh, there you he, go. He, um, so yeah, okay. Uh, any famous last words? Or are we good? Uh,
2: famous last words: Don't be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, just don't be a dick. Help people where you can. Be as generous as you possibly can with your time, your personality, and your energy. At the end of the day, be ethical, be moral, be good. Don't be a dick.
0: Awesome, man. Thank okay. you very much.
2: Appreciate you, David. Hey, guys. David here again.
0: I hope you really enjoyed that chat with Rua. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Rua for coming on. Just one last thing before you go. We have a spinning river in the interactive. So if you're interested in kind of learning, I suppose, how I think about some of the breathing work how I coach it, how I teach all the coaches and therapists that are in there, 700 plus, then that's a really good chapter for you to to look at. And there's four, let's say, if I just take four videos, for example, that you could watch right now, all of them are about 10 minutes or less. So one is the mechanics of sideline breathing. So when we lie in different, in different positions or put our body in different positions, it's going to promote expansion into different areas of our rib cage and our pelvis. Um, so understanding that can be very good for understanding for your exercise selection it's so important to understand okay where do i want the expansion and what position can i put them in to get the expansion back another one getting the scaps high and wide. so understanding how i view like scaps gliding over a rib cage i think if you i think if you can get scaps gliding over a rib cage or a rib cage gliding over scaps you'll restore mobility and movement faster than almost anything else so that's a really important one. Another one, pre-session breathing work, restore ER external rotation with two exercises. You'll see me doing some work with a client and talking about the two exercises I used before we actually went into strength work. So just two exercises to restore a bit of external rotation. Here's what we use. Here's why we used it. And here's the results or the outcomes that you would like to see if you do do these exercises as well. And then the last one, spotting comp- posterior compression and an exercise to promote posterior expansion. So similar to the last, to the previous video, but with a different client and actually how you can spot where they're, like when they're doing their breathing exercise, they're actually compressing even more posteriorly, how you can actually see that. And then, ch- and then choosing a different exercise that, that takes them out of that strategy that takes away that compensation and actually promotes that expansion posteriorly. So um, four videos, they're just an example of four that are in the spine and ribcage section. You can watch each of them. They're te- about 10 minutes long and you become a much better coach therapist and get much better results with your clients. And as a result, become a happier coach and therapist that actually makes more money and is really happy with your job. So jump on. The link is in the bio for DJR Interactive. And apart from that, thank you again for listening. I'll chat to you guys next week.